Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. So what sort of things, sort of from the legal perspective, are typical to narcissistic divorces? Well, the the approach taken by um, the narcissistic spouse, particularly, they may start by acting in person and the very difficult correspondence that you're going to have to deal with. So when you say acting in person, they don't have they a solicitor don't have a representative. Exactly. So they will write emails every hour on the hour, um, designed to rack up your clients' costs and to try to run rings around you as their lawyer. No real focus on any kind of outcome, just mm. a desire to annihilate really from the point of view of, of, um, of their spouse, the, the fact that they are um, angered by their decision to leave them. They, they've totally stepped out of character to do that. They're losing control. They want to take control of the process itself. Particularly the refusal to negotiate, the mm-hmm. moving of goalposts all of the time, the refusal to focus. Um, right at the start, refusal to provide any disclosure, um, refusing to explain you know, what's my income, especially if you've got the mm-hmm. self-employed narcissist who wants to dodge around their income position. Um, won't produce accounts, won't produce bank accounts, um, won't produce pension details. Yeah, everything is wrung out of them um, with great difficulty. Focusing on irrelevant, blown up, out of proportion issues that become the subject of very protracted and hostile correspondence. So what sort of things? Um, perhaps the use of a car or, or the spending of a small amount of money on mm-hmm. a credit card or some very... Um, tiny issue that in the overall scheme of life makes no difference whatsoever. But so presumably the cost wrong. of writing the letter oh, quite, is yeah. more than the, t- the oh, cost absolutely. of the item bought. Totally so, mm. totally so. So the, the purchase that they don't understand, that once they've asked the question all becomes clear, it, it's the minutiae that they will really drill into. 
and and won't deal with the bigger picture. Um, and so you're you're focusing forever on something that's really irrelevant. Mm. Um, and of course, if you allow that to happen before you know it, if you look at objectively at legal costs, mm. you've got a client who's spent a ridiculous amount of money dealing with something that's entirely unimportant. So you need to be able to nip that in the bud. So the lawyer needs to be able to say, this is minutiae and we're not responding Mm. because it's a waste of of money for for you, my client, as the spouse of the narcissist. Absolutely. And particularly if the narcissist is unrepresented because you're allowing yourself to be sucked into their way of dealing with, you know, they're not the professional. Um, And really they ought to get their own advice. If they're not going to, then you've got to control the, the frame that the process is taking because if you don't, the narcissist is going to run rings around you as well as your client. I mean, I've heard of cases where that's happened anyway, when the narcissist, in fact, it's very common that even when the narcissist is represented, um, they've got their own solicitor, they're still managing to sort of bring up this minutiae, send letters to to the other side and, and rack up the other side's legal bills. I think it's important to bear in mind that as a lawyer, you don't have to respond to everything that comes across your desk. And so if you feel that you're being deluged with correspondence that it really isn't helping the case at all. I would just pick the phone up to the other side if it's a solicitor to say, where are we going with this? Because it's not cost proportionate. Let's look at resolving the whole issues. Um, If your client wants to worry about something that's irrelevant, then there are routes that they can take, but we're not going to to correspond about it. Or if you've got an narcissist in person, um, that you just write to say that we're not going to answer any correspondence about this point. We've dealt with it once, that's it. And any subsequent letters will be ignored. Mm. And that's, that's so important because quite often, especially if, it's, if the narcissist is, is the high-earning individual, they're quite happy to sort of try to, to control the amount of money that's left in the marital pot by, by essentially um, making the spouse spend their side of it, their available funds. Um, so it is, it is using the legal system as abuse. It's very cleverly actually manipulating the spouse's lawyer to actually become a tool of, of abuse, financial abuse. And that's really, really common, I think. Very much so. We discuss in the books in detail um, the sort of abuse behaviours that the narcissistic individual is going to carry out uh, through the divorce process. And obviously there are many of them, um, legal abuse, financial abuse emotional abuse, uh, to mention a few. But what do you see the most often in terms of emotional abuse during the divorce process that a family lawyer should be looking out for and actually um, preempting? In terms of emotional abuse, Mm. particularly issues regarding the children, Mm -hmm. I think that um, using the children as as weapons within the process. No, I think emotional abuse um, typically focuses on finding the other person's Achilles heel, what's yeah. their weakness, what's going to really hurt them, what, what's going to make them sit up and take notice. Um, for most parents, children are the, the key to that. Mm. Or um, undermining security, just destabilising, um, perhaps not paying the mortgage, threatening to not pay basic bills and utilities, um, leaving someone in a situation where they don't know how they're going to financially work their way through the next month. Mm. Um, Because unfortunately, the court process um, does provide for interim financial support, but not quickly, Mm. certainly not overnight. Um, And so having that that financial vulnerability is also, I think, a real area of emotional abuse. 
harassment is a problem as well stalking um, ringing up every five minutes do you find that that um, people whom you've coached um, or mentored that that's something that they're dealing with on a on a regular mm-hmm. basis yeah yeah and the communication side of things is is one of the worst things so they tend to be bombarded um, with texts um, and emails as well or phone calls even worse or um, the narcissist turning up at the house and um, if the narcissist has moved out it's it's a constant sort of battle for them and they're bombarded with correspondence or communications of, of some sort or another um, and it's all very very abusive it tends to be accusatory it tends to be ranting and raging there's a component where they're sort of bad-mouthing their spouse but they're sort of doing it in the written form so they're saying oh you're a a, an alcoholic or a drug abuser or a prostitute and and this is all written down so of course the spouse is getting extremely upset and worried about it thinking well this might well go in front of a judge and I now have to defend myself it's a back and forth kind of communication process which actually is feeding the narcissist's Mm -hmm. desire for, for what's called narcissistic supply so you're making things worse in order to justify things and set the record straight, you're actually making things worse because you're communicating with a narcissist where actually you need to try and really bring all communication to the bare minimum. And so your lawyer's role, to a large extent, is not just communicating your position and what it is you want to achieve, but knowing when not to communicate and and, Mm. and empowering you not to deal with this, Mm. not to be sucked in to jump to respond when probably during your marriage um, you've jumped to attention whenever um, you've been required to do so and it's breaking away from that that, that built-in habit and that natural instinctive reaction just like you said about being a people pleaser to start with Mm. you've got so many changes that you've got to make to your approach um, that, that you need to be in control to try to take away the control mm. from your narcissistic spouse, that you don't behave in the way that you always have, that you don't jump to their requirements, that you don't allow them to take control of the process. And if you don't have a lawyer who properly understands how to deal with that, you don't have that support and backup mm. from them. Um, because you know, there, there is an approach to say that whatever you're asked to provide or whatever you're asked to do, it's always better to, to do it or provide information because otherwise it makes you look disingenuous or that you're not prepared to be upfront or give full and frank information. Um, and so not responding to questions is a little bit alien, mm. but where those questions are wholly unnecessary and actually fundamentally destructive, um, to back away from doing that actually is a really important step to take. So you're, by not doing something, you're taking a very important step and ensuring that you you are regaining control mm. of the process mm. and not allowing um, this continuation of abuse to be mm. the case um, through that communication. We've already uh, discussed how important it is in a previous podcast that the lawyer who's representing the spouse of the narcissist actually understands the ins and outs of narcissistic personality disorder. And that's essential, of course. But I would say that they also need to be quite strong to do the job effectively um, as well. Um, What are your thoughts on that? They've got to be strong enough to resist what comes in their direction from the other side. They've Mm. got to be strong enough to support you as the client because you're not in a very strong place but they've also got to be sufficiently empathetic to provide a different type of support so it's not just um, writing um, 
letters that are um, forceful um, or, or dealing with the situation in that way because actually that may be the wrong way to deal mm. with it in certain circumstances. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.